Welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Here's your host, Ben Wilson. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson, and my bulldog, Rodney, is beside me as usual. And today, I'm joined by my buddy, Scott Tudor, again, as we have another wrestling podcast discussion, this time in tribute to one of the greatest wrestling tag teams of all time, if not the greatest wrestling tag team of all time, the Road Warriors of Hawk and Animal. And we're coming to you actually at the end of the week where we got the unfortunate news that Road Warrior Animal passed away at age 60 um, from a heart attack. That means both Hawk and Animal are no longer with us, but they'll always be with us in spirit because the legend of the Road Warriors is epic and just a, a tremendous, tremendous team. And we wanted to pay homage to the team of Hawk and Animal, the Road Warriors. So, Scott, thanks so much for coming on the show. Good morning, Ben, and I appreciate you uh, including me on this episode. Uh, this one definitely hits home with me because I grew up loving these guys. So I'm anxious to dig into the conversation. Yeah, you know, the Road Warriors, uh, they came on the scene in 1983, and I— I was familiar with them because I would watch Georgia Championship Wrestling. That was the wrestling that was on TBS at 6.05 Eastern, 5.05 Central Time. And uh, they came on the scene in 1983 as just these huge um, guys, like powerlifting bodies and stuff that you really had not seen in wrestling at that time, absent somebody like a Hulk Hogan or a Kerry Von Erich. I mean, you had some big guys like um, – Stan Hansen or Dusty Rhodes, but they weren't like muscle bound, like Hawk and Animal. So um, they came on the scene, made a huge, huge entry. And when they did make their entry, they came into one of the most iconic songs in rock music history as well as wrestling history. So let's play it in tribute to Hawk and Animal. Everyone's going to recognize that as Black, excuse me, Black Sabbath Iron Man, led by frontman Ozzy Osbourne, one of the most iconic songs in rock history. So, Scott, when you hear that song, what do you think of? I mean, I, you know you're a wrestling fan when every time you hear that song, the first thing you think about is the Road Warriors coming down. And my vision of them is like the NWA version uh, when they're coming down in the black and silver uh, pads. And I mean, they're the scariest things you've ever seen at that time. And they look like they climbed out of the movie, The Road Warrior. I mean, their their name was perfect for them, the way they looked and acted. And their uh, outfit was was perfect for that. So I get a mental vision of them coming to the ring every time I hear that song. Yeah, well, the thing is, when they came out with those, it was really like a big biker outfit. And it was interesting to hear Animal talk about it. Originally, they you know they always had the the black leather and the studs and stuff. And at first he said he felt like one of the members of the village people. <laughs> and then they changed it around and um, they basically put together this outfit of the football shoulder pads and the big steel um, spikes. I mean, the animal literally said he went into um, like a machine shop and, and was welding these spikes. I mean, it was real spikes in there. So they, they looked tough and were tough when they got in the ring. Yeah, it's funny to look back at Animal because Animal was actually called the Road Warrior before he and and uh, Hawk were put together. And if you look back at those videos, he he does wear an outfit that kind of <laughs> it doesn't match up the tough guy image that uh, they had later. I'll just put it that way. 
Yeah. So give me your take on um, your first impression of the Road Warriors. So much like you, uh, you know, you talked about seeing them in 83 in Georgia Championship Wrestling. I saw them for the first time in 83 uh, in Memphis Wrestling, uh, CWA with Lawler. And the first time that I watched them, it was uh, them versus Lawler and Austin Idol, which Lawler and Austin Idol had been mortal enemies before that. And up until that point, Austin Idol was one of the most muscle-bound guys uh, in that uh, federation or in that that organization. And these two monsters climbed in the ring with Lawler and Idol and just dwarfed them and made them look like almost like little kids. If anybody hasn't seen that video, they need to YouTube it and go back and watch when the, the Road Warriors first climb in the ring with those guys. And I thought, man, these guys are crazy. I mean, I, you know, I've never seen nothing like it. Of course, in 83, I was a very young kid, maybe seven, eight years old. So I'd never seen anything like that at that point, other than uh, like you referred to Hogan. Uh, and I only had been exposed to Hogan at that point in Rocky three, the movie. So right. I, di I didn't even really know who he was. I just knew he was a wrestler. And uh, this was before cable hit my small hometown. And then of course, as you and I have discussed a, a few times on previous episodes, I uh, discovered NWA uh, in around 86 uh, on TBS. And then that's when I started seeing the road warriors again. And I was like, I remember these guys uh, from, you know, several years ago and they were still the big bad boys that they were then. And that's that's really when I fell in love with them was around '86 when I was seeing them in NWA taking on the the Horsemen and and you know having battles with the Russians and things like that. But the first time was definitely '83 against Lawler and Idol. I remember it very well. Yeah, well, I remember when they came in with Georgia Championship Wrestling and um, they were with uh, Precious Paul Ellering, who is their longtime manager. And I like the pairing with Precious Paul Ellering because really the background on Hawk and Animal is they were powerlifter guys and like they were bar bouncers up in Minnesota. And so they got recruited into being wrestlers. And so they were very green in 83. They had to learn how to work and, you know, do the promos and stuff. And so having a, an experienced veteran like Paul Ellering, who could be their mouthpiece was very important for them. And so I thought he was, uh, he was great. He had a, a stable call of a Legion of doom, which consisted of the road warriors and also Jake, the snake Roberts and a longtime wrestler called the spoiler. But um, so they were pretty dominant in Georgia Championship Wrestling. They won um, the titles uh, four times while there. And uh, they had a reputation as being very stiff, which for wrestling fans, that uh, non wrestling fans, that means they were actually physically hitting hard. I mean, you were taking a beating when you went in with the Road Warriors. And they didn't really sell much for their opponents. So a lot of times they had squash matches and stuff. But in a way, I think the squash matches were important for a team like that because you've got to show that they're dominant. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's it's funny that you bring up how they're considered stiff because there is a, a couple of stories out there I've heard some legends uh, speak on. And I can't remember exactly who it was, but they talked about, you know, the, the you know, and I hate the term the jobber, you know, jobbers, but the guys that came in and uh, I guess we can refer to them as enhancement talent. Yeah. There there was a lot of times those guys would come into territory because the Road Warriors came in when it was still the territory business. There wasn't one mm -hmm. big conglomerate or one or two big companies. It was there was a lot of little, you know, smaller territories. And uh these these guys would talk about when they found out the enhancement talent found out who they were taking on that night, because sometimes you wouldn't know till you got to the the ring, right? Or mm -hmm. to the uh, to the building. And when they found out they were taking on the Road Warriors, they packed up and left. <laughs> Yeah, they bailed out on, on his last uh, podcast. But um, yeah, so they got their start in Georgia Championship Wrestling and did the territory scene, like you mentioned, hitting places like Memphis. Um, in 1984, they actually went to the AWA under Vern Gagne, and uh, that's where they actually won the first AWA World Tag Team Championship that they won, defeating the Crusher and Baron Von Raschke. But they had some really good feuds there. Um, I mean, a lot of squash matches, but they had some matches with uh, the fabulous ones with Stan Lane and Steve Kern, as well as the fabulous Freebirds with uh, Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts. Um, matter of fact, the first Super Clash, which was a kind of a combination promo of AWA, WC, uh, 
or NWA, a lot of different talents. They battled the Freebirds for that title. And that's where the Freebirds came out uh, in Chicago. They were wearing like the, the Rebel flag paint and stuff like that. And I mean, you couldn't have that match today. Right. I remember seeing uh, replays of that match with them having their faces painted, of course, trying to rub that in, you know, to the Road Warriors. And that was all part of the the uh, buildup. Uh, mm-hmm. But that was excellent. That was an excellent feud. Yeah. And there was even a thing, um, I guess, I think it was Jim Cornette talking on, on his podcast about it. The Fabulous Ones with Steve Kern and Stan Lane, I mean, they were a very popular team. But the Road Warriors, they came in as heels. But the fact that they were dominating all these other teams in squash matches, unless it was like against the Freebirds or somebody, it wasn't a squash match. But they became uh, faces. They became fan favorites. And so when the Fabulous Ones came in, they had traditionally been fan favorites. And they kind of had to play the heels. And... I think there was a booking where like they were getting ready to leave the territory or something and Hawk just changed it. I mean, so they were talking at the very beginning of the ring and Stan, uh, Cornette said, Stan Lane said something like, we don't like Hawk said, we don't like the finish. We're going to do it our way. And if you don't do it our way, you won't, if you do it our way, you won't get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about right. They had that kind of uh, stroke because nobody wanted to cross them. Yeah, and so in that match, you know, according to Jim Cornette, Stan Lane played ball, but there was like a huge rift between them personally because Steve Kern didn't hear, and so he was ticked that Hawk wasn't selling the stuff. And so they was like legit heat and like, I mean, hitting each other with chairs and things like that, and it was it was a mess. But uh, they were a huge hit in um, AWA until they came to um, Jim Crockett Promotions in 86, and I think that's where – more of the mainstream fans uh, who are a little bit younger know them from, uh, you know, they paired with Dusty Rhodes against the um, the Four Horsemen. But one feud that um, really kind of upped the ante as far as tag team wrestling is their feud with the Midnight Express in the Skywalker match. So kind of talk about their run in um, Jim Crockett promotions in that Skywalker match. So, yeah, like I said uh, a few minutes back, when I rediscovered these guys was around 86 uh, on TBS, and like you mentioned, it was at 6.05 or whatever on uh, Saturday night. And, of course, there was a, a couple of shows throughout the week uh, that you could catch. And, of course, I fell back in love with these guys. And all my neighborhood buddies were, you know, on the same cable uh, program that I was on. And we would get together and talk about it. And we were like huge WWF fans at the time. But then we were kind of phase, fading out into the NWA world there now that we had this cable and everybody was talking about uh, the road warriors. So of course, back, back then we're talking 1986, everybody had their hometown video stores and, and things like that. This was even before a blockbuster or Hollywood video or any of that came out. So we went to our local uh, hometown uh, video store as a, as kids, you know, and they had a ton of wrestling videos. So a lot of what they had was old NWA or, or, you know, just recently released NWA. So around uh, late 86, early 87, uh, they got the video of Starcade 86. Uh, so me and the guys, of course, rented that movie or rented that that tape one weekend. And we watched that. And, of course, uh, one of the main event matches, if not, the, I think it may have actually been the main event, was uh, what they called Night of the Skywalkers. And that was when the Midnight Express took on the Road Warriors in the scaffold match. And... <laughs> For us guys at that age, we'd never seen anything like that. This was pre-ECW, pre-Extreme. You know, everything that we'd seen pretty much had been standard. Now, there was blood, you know, when you saw, uh, watched Memphis or you watched uh, Flair in a championship match. You always got a little blood for that. But we'd never seen anything like a scaffold match before. And to see these two 300-pound guys uh, climb up on these scaffolds and then, uh, (laughs) of course, Spoiler alert! Knocked Jim Cornette off of the scaffold at the end. It was uh, it was just amazing. It, it, I think that that match put they were already on the map because of their time in AWA, as you alluded to with the, the their world championship. But they were really on the map after this because it was a uh, national and partially international uh, affair for that pay per view. Yeah, and you know they had um, 
some really great matchups in, in Jim Crockett promotions. Like we mentioned the Midnight Express and, um, you know, with the Horsemen. But I really like their pairing with the Russians, uh, the team of Ivan, Nikola, <clears throat> Ivan Koloff, Nikita Koloff, and Crusher, Crusher Khrushchev, which is Barry Darso, former uh, soon-to-be uh, smash from Demolition. But talk about that matchup because that was one where, you know, a lot of times in the matchups, except for really – when they went against Terry Gordy, who was about their size, you know, they were always against guys that were smaller than them. But when they went up against the Russians, I mean, Nikita Koloff was just as big as those guys, as Hawk and Animal were. And Barry Darso was a big old guy too. And Ivan Koloff was one of the toughest wrestlers of, of all time. So they had some just knockdown drag out fights that I thought were just great. So, yeah, the Russians were the biggest heels uh, in NWA at the time. Everybody hated these guys, and but you couldn't deny them because Nikita was a stud, and I'm I'm a huge Nikita mark to this day. Even I think Nikita may have been one of the first heels that I actually really loved. Uh, I just liked his look. I liked his attitude. I liked his uh, action in the ring, and you are absolutely correct, man. I loved when Nikita and Hawk, there was something about that matchup when those two guys got to size it up with each other, that I, it was like they, they had a similar size, similar style. I just, I loved watching them two go at it. And uh, of course, Barry Darso or Crusher Khrushchev, who, like you said, became smash. He was a, a stud back then. He was a big guy, well over yeah. three, well over 300 pounds. He could move. And then of course you had the X factor because Ivan was kind of still active wrestler and still tough. And he was kind of outside the ring playing that third party. And he could overpower uh, Precious Paul, see? So they mm-hmm. kind of they kind of had that advantage uh, with that because it was almost like three on two, and that evened it up. Ro- you know, up to that point, we'd really never seen anybody even it up with the Road Warriors that much. And uh, I agree. I mean, I, I loved that feud. And, hey, that, that feud, uh, you know, along with uh, them teaming up with Dusty Rhodes, led to my all-time favorite pay-per-view style, which was War Games. Those yeah. guys mixed it up in war games. And if you have not seen a war games and you're a wrestling fan, please do yourself a favor and go back and watch those matches. Well, the one thing about those war game matches too, is it allowed them to present opponents for the four horsemen because in the war games you had the road warriors and they'd team up with dusty Rhodes or Nikita Koloff, or I think the war games started after Magnum TA's injury, but I know they had tagged with Magnum TA as a face for a while, but I mean, those war game matches were built for the road warriors. I mean, it's, it's all in a cage. You can't get out. And it's like, if you can't get away from the road warriors, they're just going to overpower you and outfight you. I mean, especially Hawk. I mean, you know, it's kind of interesting to talk about the different styles of Hawk and animal. Obviously both guys were, were strong power guys, but Hawk especially was, I mean, extremely agile. I mean, and, um, you know, he would jump off the top rope. Of course, their finishing move uh, for the most part of their career was a doomsday device where uh, Hawk, uh, Animal would put someone on his shoulders and Hawk would like clothesline him from the top. But Hawk was just a mean, could be a real mean, tough, nasty guy. I and mean, of course, he was a, a, a bouncer, but he could also go technical with you. He had many single matches with Ric Flair for the championship that I just thought were outstanding. And with Animal, you know, a little bit shorter, but 285, 300 pounds. But he could get up and hit those drop kicks. He could hit the um, – both of them hit the the jumping um, shoulder tackle. So they were not just big guys who could, could not move. They could move. Absolutely. they Those guys were super agile. And I think that's what made them different is when you saw these guys, you thought, well, you know, they're just going to power overpower – everybody but that wasn't it man they they were fast they were aggressive they were explosive uh you know some of my favorite uh memories is when somebody would put them in a suplex or a pile driver or something like that and those guys would pop right back up to their feet like that didn't affect me you know and then they just they go on they you know they would no sell it but that was part of their their uh aura and uh, they would jump up and just explode yeah you know another um great um pairing that they had, which I was I was interested in Jim Crockett promotions. I didn't realize this and I was actually kind of shocked when I saw the stat. 
they were only the NWA tag t- World Tag Team Champions one time in their uh, their tenure at Jim Crockett Promotions. They had three title reigns as six man tag team champions um, with either Dusty Rhodes or a guy named Jinru Tenru after Dusty left. But um, I thought they would be the World Tag Team Champions more because that means teams like the Rock and Roll Express and Midnight Express actually held the title more than the Road Wars. But the Road Wars were by far. Well, I'm not going to say by far because, I mean, the Rock and Roll Express and Midnight Express could draw, but it's the Road Warriors were the, it seemed like the really the big draw in that promotion uh, from the tag team perspective. I mean, I, I'm with you. That That is shocking. And I'm, you know, you and I are pretty much wrestling historians here when it comes to the 80s and 90s. So that's definitely a stat that I was not aware of. I thought they held the belts uh, more than that. So I have to question that. They they did hold the belts in WCW though, right? Not too long after that. Yeah, well, their title reign, like when they were in Georgia Championship Wrestling, they held the title three times there. Uh, in AWA, they only had it one time, but it was for a. I mean, they had a very long reign. Um, in World Championship Wrestling, Jim Crockett Promotions, they were the World Six Man Tag Team Champions three times. Like I said, two with Dusty Rhodes, one with um, Jinru. Tenru from Japan, um, they were the individual tag team champions one time, uh, which was like in 88. But they won a lot of these things like the the Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup, the, right. those tur- Ironman tournaments. But I think it kind of goes to, to say, too, they were so over that they didn't need to necessarily have the title all the time. Right. And I guess between – that one individual championship and all they were always in a feud with dusty Rhodes versus a horseman or Nikita versus the horseman. You know, they're always top guys. So I guess if you're not given the title to some of the other teams like the rock and roll express and midnight express, maybe their, their feuds aren't as interesting to the fans because they're not battling over a title. Well, and you touched on something maybe to keep the other teams over, you know, and give them a chance they, you know, Crockett had to put the titles on them because everybody loved the Road Warriors so much. People were still going to love them whether they had a title or not. So to build up the Rock and Roll Express and keep them relevant and and a couple of the other teams, maybe they had to put the straps on them. Maybe that was the strategy, and that, that definitely makes sense. Yeah, and if they were running the two tours, like they'd have an A show and a B show, usually the Rock and Roll Express and Midnight Express were headlining that B show, which – you know, Jim Crock or Jim Cornette said many a times they were outdrawing or at least equal to the A show where you had the Road Warriors and Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair and the Horsemen. So if right. if you don't have that title on the B show, um, maybe you're not drawn as much. But you, just think about the tag teams that we're mentioning here in that era. I mean, we've mentioned the Road Warriors battling against the Russians, the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express. We didn't even mention the, yet their battles with Tully and Arn. Right. And um, so it was just a really great tag division. And another team that they had a, a good battle with as well was um, the Powers of Pain. This was the Barbarian and Warlord. And um, I really enjoyed those matches. To be honest, it didn't last as long as I thought because Barbarian and Warlord, they got recruited to a WWF. But, and basically they kind of got tired of being booked to lose to the Road Warriors. But you talk about the Barbarian and Warlord, those are some – big, powerful guys right there that can match up very well with the Road Warriors, and they put on some excellent matches. So, yeah, I was excited as a kid, obviously, to see Barbarian and Warlord come in because these two guys were just as huge. And really, Warlord in stature, was he towered over either of the Road Warriors. He was a tall guy and big. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that ended up being like a cross-promotional uh, feud between those two teams because – Powers of Pain were brought into Crockett to match it up with the Road Warriors, and it was an excellent feud, as you said. And there's, uh, I remember this as a kid, but you can catch it on uh, video now, where they had the whole weightlifting competition, and they threw the stuff in uh, Animal's Eye and and uh, all that, and that built up to the big match and and, and all that. That was excellent, excellent uh, story building and, and all that. And like, like you said, Powers of Pain went on over to WWF and had their battle with Demolition, which is mm-hmm. another, another good team that I loved. Uh, yeah. 
that Crusher Khrushchev from the Russians in NWA became Smash of Demolition, like you said. Uh, and then Road Warriors came over there and they started really referring to him more as LOD at that point. Uh, they still had another feud with Powers of Pain there because, you know, that was Vince's uh, dream dream situation, having three big monster tag teams in there at one time. And uh, that was back when WWF really loved tag team wrestling. Yeah. And uh, LOD came over and mixed it up, and it was money. I mean, they took on Powers of Pain in the main event. Uh, they took on Demolition in the main event. I, I actually watched a Demolition versus LOD match in Evansville, Indiana in 89, and it was money. The crowd was there for that match. And, yeah. Uh, you know, they put on a heck of a show. So, yeah, the Powers of Pain was money. That Whoever brought them in was was smart. You know, everybody said, oh, they're just copying off the Road Warriors and all that. But they had their own they had their own thing, you know, and they had their own success. And uh, Barbarian went on to have a solid singles career. And then, of course, later was tagging with Ming and, and all that like, on the later on. So very, yeah, very I, good times. I think Barbarian is one of the most underutilized and underrated uh, wrestlers of all time. I mean, he was a big guy who could move. He had that flying headbutt from the top rope. I mean, mean I, I don't know that he was that necessarily great on the promo and that may have been his downfall as far as a push. But I mean, you know, you got to have guys like the, the warlord and um, uh, barbarian to go against the road warriors. Cause like you and I had talked earlier, if you're booking the road warriors against the midnight express and the rock and roll express and Tully and Arn, I mean, you can put together some good, some good matches and, and they did, they had some great matches. But the thing about it is from a fan perspective is if you don't put the road warriors over to me, it doesn't make sense because there were so much bigger and stronger than those other teams that I'm like, there's no way that Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson are going to beat the road warriors. No. Like, usually if they did, it was by a, a disqualification or, you know, some, something like that. But, um, so I always liked it when they could match up with guys who were about their same size, and which takes us to another tag team they could go against, and that's the Steiner Brothers, who I know you're big fans of the Steiner Brothers. So talk about some of those matches. So that was like my ultimate dream when the Steiner Brothers first uh, hit the scene together. Now, Rick, I was already a fan of him with, uh, you know, he had teamed up with Sting a couple times, and, uh, you know, I, they had some, uh, I, th I think they had some matches in UWF, the short-lived uh, federation there right? Uh, in the mid to late 80s. And then uh, Rick came on the scene and was with the Varsity Club with Kevin Sullivan and Mike Rotundo. And, uh, Dr. Dr. Death. Yeah, that was a great, great faction. I love that group. And uh, <clears throat> so, but when they brought Scotty in, you know, I think it was late 89, maybe 90, and they started winning the Crockett Cups and really started showing their style and man, these guys were physical. They, they were legit. I mean, both of these guys were all American heavyweight wrestlers, uh, from Michigan, uh, you know, college wrestlers. And I mean, they were just doing suplexes and moves that you'd never seen before. And with Scott Steiner, I mean, he wasn't quite as bulky at that time as, uh, like a road warrior, but man, he was muscled up and you're talking about a 250, 260 pound guy doing moves like the Frankensteiner and things like that. So he was, in his own right, man, he was a pioneer. So yeah. uh, my dream match was for them to finally meet up with the Road Warriors. And, man, they, you know, hey, Crockett Promotions did it. WCW did it. They matched these guys up. And, man, uh, they had some great matches. I, I loved watching them two go at it. And the Steiners could actually lift the Road Warriors and throw them and, and match it up with, with them, you know. And that was somebody – that was probably the first time that I ever actually saw the Road Warriors – I, you know, it wasn't one-sided, but that was the first time I've seen somebody that could actually manhandle them when they wanted to. So, yeah. man, well, for, for me as a teenager, man, it, you know, early teenager, it, it was just, that was what made me love wrestling at that time. And tag teams were just super, super hot across WWF, NWA, WCW, AWA, all of them at that point. Well, and um, also within that time period, I mean, they had some good battles with um, – the Freebirds when Terry Gordy would come back from Japan and um, and battle, uh, but they also had the Samoan SWAT team as opponents with, uh, and I like that because they had Pauly Dangerously, so you got this great heel talker there. But I mean, Samu and Fatu were I mean big strong guys, and of course uh, Fatu goes on to be Rikishi. Um, 
But, uh, I mean, big, strong guys. You had the skyscrapers with Sid Vicious and Dan Spivey. And then uh, when Vicious left, you had a mean Mark Callis, who eventually became The Undertaker. But, you know, one of the things with the Road Warriors is with all those battles and stuff, they were able to draw tremendous fan following. There's a phrase in wrestling called the Road Warrior Pop, that when they come out, I mean, there was just a huge pop from that crowd. And it's pretty amazing to be able to keep that streak uh, as long as they did. Um, because like you said, when they're going against the Steiners, really the Steiners were a face team as well. So, And they were still getting a bigger pop than the Steiners, as good as they were. That's true. I mean, the Road Warriors, no matter where they went, and that's something we need to mention too, is the Road Warriors was one of the first tag teams that were cross-promotional. They were international. I mean, they drew money in Japan. They drew money everywhere they went and were successful everywhere they went. And I think they were one of the first American teams to hold Japanese belts, if I'm not mistaken there. I, I have to do some more research on that. but uh, Probably so. I mean, because they went over starting in 1985 with like Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody and Terry Gordy. And uh, Ric Flair was over there for a little while. Right. And all those guys were drawing big money in Japan. That's why they made so many trips over there. Uh, and I think Hanson ended up just taking up residence over there. If I'm not mistaken, he ended up yeah. getting married and staying. But uh, yeah, LOD or the Road Warriors, I think they were one of the first cross-promotional uh, success stories as a tag team where they just, everywhere they went, they dominated, they held belts. And like we referred to earlier, they may have only held the belt once uh, in one promotion, but they held the belt almost every promotion they went. So uh, at least once. So yeah. that's that's something to be said. And if you think about the teams, because, I mean, the Road Warriors were not booked to lose very often, or if they lost, it was usually from a disqualification or some type of interference with uh, chairs or something like that. But another team that I really liked in that era of um, WCW NWA was Doom with Butch Reed and Ron Simmons. And let me tell you, as big and strong as Hawk and Animal were, I mean, Doom could go with them. They were in fact, bigger. I mean, Ron Simmons was just, I mean, just a bad, bad man in there. So when you had him and Hawk in there, I mean, they would just go at it. And I kind of felt like, yes, I'm a Road Warriors fan, but I kind of felt like Doom had to sell some losses that I was, I kind of shook my head. And I was like, yeah, you know, Butch Reed wouldn't have taken that, um, that loss, but though, but those are great matches too. Um, with more physical tag teams. And I think because of the road warriors, you started seeing more and more of these teams come in of big guys who are agile. Whereas like we mentioned earlier in 83, when they came on the scene, there weren't tag teams like that. I agree. And that, see, that was the thing is the road warriors were so dominant for so long that they were trying, you know, promoters were trying to put together combinations that could mix it up with them and be the next road warriors because I mean, let's face it, after 10, you know, 10 to 12 years, you know, you start to lose a little bit of fire and the fans want to see other things and the, you know, promotions want to put belts and, and wins on other people a little bit. So, uh, when they put together doom, uh, Ron Simmons and Butch Reed, man, I was a huge fan of them as well, even though they were heels, yeah. I love, I loved them and man, their matches with the road warriors were excellent. Their matches with the Steiners were good. Uh, their matches with the horsemen, you know, they're, I've referred to this match before, uh, you know, to our fans that listen to this. If you've never seen the street fight between Arn Anderson and Barry Windham versus Doom, please do yourself a favor and go back and watch that because it it's an amazing match. I could watch it two or three times a day, I believe. But uh, that uh, that match is excellent. Like you said, they finally put together, you know, when they put together Doom and with uh, Teddy R. Long, whoo, that, that was a combo, man. They had their little manager out there too that could interfere and man there was some great great wrestling back then yeah so the road warriors were with um nwa wcw jim crockett promotions until june of 1990 they left due to an issue with um um uh, with then head jim hurd who this jim hurd you know he comes up all the time in negative connotations rick flair didn't like him he was the reason that rick flair left wwf so the road warriors left in 1990 to go to the wwf and um, they start immediately with um, a feud with Demolition. So you talked about that a little bit earlier, but talk about that pairing of 
Hawk and Animal versus Demolition. Because to me, those two teams, they were the biggest and the baddest around. So I was so excited when they the Hawk and Animal went to WWF and they were going to fight Demolition. We were going to see, you know, who who is the better team. So, yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, we've referred to this a little bit, but let's uh, give a shout out to Barry Darso, who was a Minnesota guy. And, man, Minnesota in the early 80s was just a factory for putting out monster wrestlers. I mean, let's just name a few real quick. You had Barry Darso, who was Smash and Crusher, Crusher Khrushchev. Nikita Koloff came out of Minnesota. Rick Rude came out of Minnesota. Both the Road Warriors came out of Minnesota. And I'm sure I'm missing a couple, but, man, they just – Kurt Henning. Kurt Henning. Uh, they, they were just turning out great wrestlers and monsters left and right back then in that area. Scott Hall, I can't remember if Scott Hall was from that area or not, but of course, you know, the Minnesota area too was the backyard of AWA wrestling. Right. Absolutely. Oh, uh, Ric Flair actually is originally from Minnesota as That's well. Right. That's right. Now he's yeah. not a monster like these guys, but he's a, a monster in the business. So, right. all right, back to what we were talking about demolition, which everybody, you know, now wants to say, oh, they were a copy of the road warriors and, Blah, blah, blah. I was a huge Demolition fan. I personally think the tag team should have lasted longer than they did. I know Axe started having some health issues, so they brought uh, Crush in. Mm -hmm. Uh, That kind of was a downplay there. That kind of watered them down a little. But at the time, when it was Axe and Smash in Demolition, they dominated for two years and had some killer matches uh, in WWF. And when they finally did bring the Road Warriors over, I'll never forget when when they brought them over and they debuted. I my first thought was I can't wait until these guys win a few matches and and then go up against Demolition. I said, you know, that's what I was building up for the first day they debuted. Uh, and it, you know, of course, that was Vince Vince's master plan altogether. And man, it was money. They drew money. Uh, like I said, I saw them at the old Robert Stadium in Evansville, Indiana. It was sold out, packed to the gills for that main event for that, that match. Uh, I watched them, you know, pay-per-view after pay-per-view and on uh, weekly shows prime time back then. And it was just a, a great, you know, great match and demolition. I'm sticking up for them. They were not a copy. Yes. They had face paint. Yes. They were big guys, but they had their own style. They weren't the uh, explosive uh, athletic style. They were just the big bruisers who just beat you down and yeah. if, they, if they had to cheat to win, they cheated to win. And they had a devious manager. I mean, uh, Mr. Fuji. So you pair these two big beasts up who are just brutes with a devious manager. <laughs> and it was excellent, man. So they, you know, they had some good matches. And like I said, Vince was smart. It, it, it was a money uh, draw no matter what. And then when he threw Powers of Pain in in the early uh, 90s, late 80s, early 90s as well. I mean, you had three huge tag teams that were just dominant. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love that matchup. I mean, I would have put the Road Warriors over as well, but I mean, it was a great matchup. And um, actually, another big battle they had was against the Nasty Boys in SummerSlam of 91. The Road Warriors, then known as the Legion of Doom, defeated the Nasty Boys in a no-DQ street fight match for the World Tag Team Championship. And that's the only time that um, they won the, the W. No, wait, maybe they won a second. Um, I'll have to look. But the thing is, is the Road Warriors are the only team to win world tag team titles in the top three promotions in the 80s and 90s. So that would be WCW, um, AWA, or NWA, WCW, AWA, and WWF. Absolutely. And people that are fans now and the younger crowd don't understand just exactly how big AWA and, and NWA was back then. I mean, they were... You know, WWF wasn't that big monster back then that they are now. Yes, they were starting to gain steam because Vince was cherry picking the the talent and uh, offering them bigger, bigger paid paydays, you know. But uh, AWA up through the mid 80s or late 80s was was a force to be reckoned with and NWA as well. I mean, NWA is still around. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So after, um, you know, that run in WWF only really lasted through 1992. Um, at that time, you know, Hawk was having some issues. And uh, so after, I think it was, let me see here, it was after SummerSlam of 92 
in Wembley Stadium. They, um, you know, Hawk took a little break. Uh, an animal, he actually teamed with former Crush from Demolition because Demolition was broken up and competed. But Hawk, uh, I'm sorry, Animal had an injury to his back. And so they took a big break for a while and really didn't resurface until, uh, in the United States at least, until um, 1996 where they came back to WCW for a little while and they feuded with Steiner Brothers and Harlem Heat. Now, Harlem Heat, that's another team we haven't talked about, but, I mean, another physical, agile team that they could really go with the Road Warriors and another more proof of the evolution of tag team wrestling because of the Road Warriors. Agreed. Harlem Heat, another one of my favorites. We've talked about them on this podcast before uh, in previous episodes, such as the tag team tournaments and and all that uh, type of thing. But Harlem Heat versus the Steiners, Harlem Heat versus the Road Warriors – the one matchup that I always wanted that I never did really get was Harlem Heat versus Doom. I thought that would have been money anywhere you go, uh, but it just didn't work out. Uh, the timing just didn't work out for us. But uh, Harlem Heat, when they brought them on, Stevie Ray, Booker T, like you said, two big guys. Booker T, not so much as a big guy, but he was a super athletic guy. But Stevie Ray was huge. He was he was a monster. He was the power team, you know, the anchor of the team. And, uh, hey, Stevie Ray could get it, man. He could move around. He could do moves. He could size it up with with uh, Animal. And uh, it's really Animal, to me, was kind of the harder one to move of the two Road Warriors. He had the more weight on him. He was a little shorter, so mm-hmm. his center, center of gravity was lower. And uh, Booker T was big enough and athletic enough that he could mix it up with Hawk pretty good. So, that you know, that match was money. And, you know, that was the resurgence of the tag team. Uh, era for WCW because you had Steiners, Harlem Heat, uh, Road Warriors, and and several others there. So, yeah, I thought that was money. That was where WCW started edging out WWF in the tag team ranks again in the mid-90s. Yeah. So the Road Warriors were there for a little while in WCW. Then they go back to WWF in 97 through 99. They, of course... um, still have some battles with um heart foundation uh you know the godwins the 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 redneck hillbilly team um but they didn't win the title in that period so it was sort of like the road warriors they were still a big tag team with the pop the draw and stuff but never won the title in that period and then eventually became lod 2000 um Talk about that period of the Road Warriors because, like I said, they were still a top team, but they weren't booked to be the champions anymore. So, you know, as you and I have mentioned several times before, I was a LOD mark for sure. Uh, they're in my top two tag teams of all time. And depending on my mood, I could say they're the top team of all time and, you know, vice versa with uh, the Steiner brothers. Those are my two tops. Uh, at that time period, I think – in 97 it, i feel like tag team wrestling was kind of watered down for wwf especially and you know lod had had some injury problems and of course everybody knows that uh, hawk was having his own personal demons he was dealing with unfortunately and you know lod just wasn't the team that that we were used to 5 years earlier you know they they just weren't that same explosive monster team that could just mix it up and dominate teams and and mix it up with monsters and and win uh there were some good matches in that era don't get me wrong and and i'm talking especially the 97 when they first returned they you know they got a huge pop and you know they beat up on the godwins quite a bit and things like that but when they started doing the lod 2000 i have to admit as a fan that's kind of when it started getting uh too much for me it's it you know their age was showing you know you got to think about it these guys been in wrestling since they they didn't get put together until 83. So they'd both been in wrestling since like 81. Uh, so their age was starting to catch up to them. You know, father time's undefeated and uh, mother nature always wins. You know, all the, all the uh, uh, segues or, or old uh, sayings that you can put in there. But it, it, it's just as a fan. And of course I was getting older and I was getting more into the, the uh, edgy, uh, NWO DX type stuff that was, that was happening there. And actually in that era was about the time you and I started, uh, crossing paths and, and -hmm. talking wrestling at college together, you know, so LOD's mystique had kind of worn off. And I think WWF kind of screwed them up and 
you know, injuries and personal demons kind of screwed them up there. So I, I hate to say it, but that's kind of when they started taking a downplay for me. It, they weren't the legends that they were before that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I agree with you. They still had some good matches. I mean, I liked it when they went against the motorcycle tag team of um, the Disciples of Apocalypse. I mean, that was a good match. Uh, they had some good matches with the New Age Outlaws, Road Dog, and Billy Gunn. But the thing I didn't like, and this is WWF, is is when they did this segment where they focused on Hawk like being drunk and having issues, and when he like fell off the Titan Tron. I'm like, when that happened, I mean, that was kind of the jumping the shark moment. Right. For them. Um, but, you know, like we said, when you've been in the business for 15, 17 years doing the constant travel that wrestlers have to do, the, the physical matches that the Road Warriors had, it, it takes a toll on on people. So that's kind of how they I mean, they they stayed on and they had a few appearances here and there. Animal did some singles matches and stuff. But uh, basically, that was kind of the, the end of the Road Warriors from a a a team perspective but that being said when you go back and look at their career it's just an amazing amazing career they were really um icons in the world of tag team wrestling um they were also guys who showed that you can come in as a wrestler and learn and develop and grow they were so much better um in the late 80s, early 90s and stuff, then when they first came in, they learned how to work. They learned how to do interviews. Their interviews were, I thought, great. You know, the the loud yelling and, you know, Hawk was usually pretty funny. It's like, that's good for you or bad for you and good for us. And as though it's like, um, you know, their phrase, oh, what a rush, um, came became a popular phrase. So I feel like with the Road Warriors, like you said, they're always in the top, two or three tag teams of all time. Many people vote them number one, but um, it's just though with the passing of both Hawk and animal. Now it's another dynasty that's no longer with us. So that, that is sad, but the memories will always remain. Yeah. The, you know, hearing that animal passed, he kind of was keeping the folklore alive because he was doing a lot of shoot interviews on YouTube. And, you know, he was on the uh, show on the vice channel, uh, dark side of the ring and really talked a lot about yeah, their that, was a great show. that was a great show excellent episode man if you guys haven't seen that out there please watch the dark side of the ring the road warriors episode and you know animal was keeping the, the mystique alive and and you know his shoot interviews were great and and all that that's what's so depressing about him you know passing on at 60 and i mean let's be honest 60 still i mean it's not young but it's not in today's day and age that's not a old man you know, uh, 60s early to, to pass on. And that, it just lets you know, I, you know, they say of natural causes, but you know, how much of that was, you know, wear and tear, uh, you know, coming through and let's just be honest from 83 until probably what 96, those guys were on the road 300 times, 300 days a year. I -hmm. mean, LOD was in demand by some federation, whether it be independent, Japan, WWF, WCW, NWA, AWA from 83 until literally like what we say their break came up in like 96 or 90, early 90s, somewhere 92. 92. Yeah. So let's just say 83 to 92, nine solid years of 300 days a year, two matches, two matches on Sunday. You know, I mean, it's uh that's a heck of a life to live, man. And those guys stuck with it and made a lot of money out of, uh, out of wrestling. And they made a lot of promoters, a lot of money. So, yeah. Well, and I think too, um, the thing about with animal passing away, you know, you always heard stories about Hawk, um, having personal issues and stuff, but when Hawk passed away in 2003 at only 46, he had overcome those problems. He became a born again Christian and got over the, the drug and alcohol issues and stuff. So he actually died like, the day after he had like moved into a new house with his wife. And so animal was like, you know, it's such a tragedy because of the fact that he had, he had made the turn in the right direction. Uh, and then animal, you know, I've never heard anything bad said about animal at all. Um, I mean, they said he was a more kind of level headed guy because I mean, Hawk was a brawler and would go and do that. But you know, animal was kind of like more level headed under control I know he had been a good mentor to a lot of um, younger wrestlers, and of course his his kids. I mean, one of his oldest uh, one of his kids was a 
big time football player, played in the NFL. Um, so, you know, he really left a large shadow in the world of professional wrestling and, uh, and a good shadow. I think his son's still playing linebacker in the, in the NFL, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, no, he, re- he's retired, but he was good. Oh, he, he did good. retire. Yeah. Okay. And of course I forgot to mention too, uh, animal's brother, uh, John Laronitis, of course, was Johnny Ace as a wrestler. And of course, in WWE was an executive for many years. So oh, yeah. you know, quite a connection to the wrestling family. If I'm not mistaken, isn't he, or, or at one time he was dating one of the, uh, Bella twins mother. He's married to him. It did. She did he marry him? Yeah. The step stepdad now. That's what I, <laughs> I never kept up with it that long. I didn't realize they got married, but I knew that they were dating quite a bit. So, yeah. Well, we're going to have to wrap up here our, our tribute to Hawk and Animal and the Road Warriors. Uh, but like we said, you know, just an amazing, amazing team. I mean, consistently recognized as the best, and if not the best, then one of the top two or three tag teams of all time. So just kind of give your your closing thoughts on the Road Warriors and their legacy. Hey, the Road Warriors are in my top two, and depending on what mood I'm in, they can be number one from one day to the next. And as a kid, a small kid growing up, and I stuck with them from then till from about the age of seven when I or eight when I first saw them, all the way until I was a early twenties in college. Uh, st- you know, always two of my favorite characters. And like you said, uh, Animal. You know, later in life, now that I look back and have researched, and the internet's available, and you can watch all these shoot interviews, he had a heck of an influence on the younger wrestlers, and he was like a mentor to a lot of the. Even the females, a lot of the females spoke up when Animal passed. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you said, he was an anchor for the team. And he, he, you know, who knows where Hawk would have been earlier than that if it wasn't for Animal, because the way it looks to me is Animal kept Hawk out of a lot of trouble, it seems like, so in real life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but as far as their wrestling folklore goes, top two tag teams of all time, uh, they'll live on in infamy as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, till the till I go to the grave, I'll say that they're probably in the top two tag teams of all time. And the influence they had not only in wrestling, but pop culture was just unmatched. Agreed. So we definitely wanted to pay our respects to Hawk and Animal and the legendary team of the Road Warriors, because like Scott said, I mean, they were just icons in the sport. And, um, you know, it's it's very, very sad that they're no longer with us, but the, the memories will always live forever. So rest in peace, Hawk and Animal, and the Road Warriors will live on forever. So thank you so much for everyone listening to the show. Hope you enjoy it, and we'll be back soon with another tribute to one of our favorite wrestlers. So we'll see you then. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode. Find us online at benandrodney.com and follow us on Instagram at benwilsonmiami.com.